Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome each one here. Um, thanks for that song, Adriana. It was beautiful, beautiful words, hey? Um, I want to acknowledge those that are uh, with us live stream. Uh, it's a blessing to be able to do that. It feels like we're together in that way. Um, it's, a little, it's a little different, isn't it? But it is good to know that you're there and for us to acknowledge you as well. Becky and Charles are with us. Bev and Steve are with us. Krista Fay, Wanda is with us. Uh, I think her granddaughter might be with us as well. Uh, Tracy and uh, Pastor Patrick are with us. Uh, Sheila is with us as well. And uh, thankful for each one of you. And if we've missed anyone, uh, welcome. Um, there may be others who have joined just, just, just now. Fire truck going by. <laughs> There's a fire down the street, not here. Let's see if the Lord can warm things up in here, though, okay? Um, good to see each one here, you guys. Well, it's a blessing to be together on Easter Sunday. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. Let me open with a word of prayer and we'll begin, okay? Luke 24, 1 through 12 is where we'll be. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for your people gathered together, uh, not just in this place, but through the live stream. Father, I thank you for technology. Recognize that um, even through uh, these times, Father, maybe it is you're doing a new thing. <laughs> for one, Father, you've caused us to be more timely. I thank you for that. Father, too, you've uh, helped us to realize again, maybe in a fresh way, the importance of the church and um, the joy it is to be able to meet together. And maybe when this is over, um, you'll just do a powerful work. So, Father, we ask that you, you continue to do that and bless, bless your people. Bless each one that's here uh, physically and each one live stream. Bless our time in your word. Uh, bless this Easter Sunday. Give us joy. In Jesus' name, amen. I've titled this message, The Dawn of Hope. This text and this title came to me quite a little bit, uh, well, some days ago, and I got excited about that. The more I got prepared for it, the more excited I got, because I got so excited, it was hard to kind of contain what it was I wanted to be saying. But let me start with this, because it helps me just to calm down a little bit. There is a singer-songwriter named Roger Whitaker. I like Roger Whitaker. I always have. He's got a really good, deep whistle. I don't know if I've ever heard a whistle that good, other than maybe my son Daniel. He whistles really well. But Roger Whitaker has a song, and I think it's called A New World in the Morning, and it goes something like this. I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to try and be Roger Whitaker. But he says, Everyone, everybody talks about a new world in the morning. A new world in the morning starts today. And I think what Roger Whitaker is trying to say with that song is that hope for tomorrow can begin today. Hope for tomorrow can begin today. doesn't have to wait for tomorrow. We'll come back to that toward the end of the message, Lord willing. But hopelessness is so common. And we've heard messages on hopelessness and, and the causes of that. We're aware of some of the causes of that personally. Hopelessness is so common. It is something that is felt, and it's felt deeply by people. Hopelessness is. And apart from the resurrection of Christ, it is something that would be a fact. Hopelessness would be a fact, not just a feeling. 
I want to speak to you today about a few things. One of them is the absence of hope. I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about the appearance of hope. I'd like to talk about that a little bit, and I then would like to go to the entrance of hope. And from there, I'd like to talk about briefly the expectation of hope, those four things. And maybe today will be the day that real hope, that real hope enters your soul. I can remember when that happened to me, when real hope entered my soul. And I hope today would be the day that might happen to someone that's listening to this message. For believers, for us as believers, this is a message that is meant to be an encouragement. For those who have yet to trust Jesus, this message is intended to be evangelistic. Now, I struggle to balance those two things in a single message. I do, but I'm trusting the Lord with that. For us as believers, this message is meant to be a a tremendous encouragement. We're celebrating Easter Sunday together, and that is the celebration of our Lord Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And praise God, one more time, He is risen. Risen indeed. Amen. I hope you guys that are watching are saying that as well. Um, worldly hope is really no hope at all. And we know that. I thought about giving like examples from my own life or from your life, but my mind went to the writer of Ecclesiastes, who is King Solomon, and he tries everything to find meaning in life. And when he gets to the end of each one of those things, he realizes there's really no hope in that to find any meaning in life. He tries everything under the sun. Everything worldly, he tries to the fullest, and he finds out, well, there's no hope in that. Worldly hope is really no hope at all. But biblical hope is real, and it's available to all who will trust in Jesus. Biblical hope is real, and it's available to you and I. Biblical hope is a real hope. It's concrete. It's solid. Hope, biblical hope, is based on facts. It is a confident expectation of good things that are to come. The word hope is mentioned at least, and it, it might vary in the translation you have, it's mentioned at least 120 times, I think, in your Bible, no matter what translation you have. 120 times. Over 130 verses use the word hope. There are some verses that use the word hope as many as four times in one verse. It's a theme that runs throughout the Bible, this idea of hope. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. And that is just a sweet thought, isn't it? We have a living hope. So the hope of the resurrection, that's, that's what we're going to be talking about today, the hope of the resurrection. If you have your Bible, I hope you do at home. I hope you do here as well. We're in the last chapter in the Gospel of Luke. And what a chapter the last chapter of Luke is. The last chapter of the Gospel of Luke is all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and His appearances to different individuals. And when He concludes that chapter, there is the ascension of Christ into heaven. It's a wonderful chapter in the Bible. And Luke begins his Gospel, the Gospel of Luke, by talking about the fact that he's made careful investigation of everything that had taken place, and he makes an orderly account of all those things. He wants Theophilus to know, the lover of God, to know the exact truth of things. The facts. That's what he wants Theophilus to know. And in our text today, those verses that Howard has read for us, and we're going to be in in just a moment again now, um, in this text, 
we are seeing the resurrection of Christ through the eyes of those who were first on the scene. And that's pretty exciting to think about. We see the resurrection of Christ through the eyes of those who are first on the scene. And I see this as a narrative that doesn't so much seek to explain the resurrection as much as it does to proclaim the resurrection. It doesn't set out... Luke, when he writes this, he's writing details about the resurrection. He's not trying to explain the how of it, but he's proclaiming the what of it. He's proclaiming the fact that it happened. He's making a proclamation about the resurrection. And this is a message that is not focused on the proof of the resurrection, but I'm thinking more about the power of the resurrection, the hope that is found because of the resurrection of Christ. And I'm not going to focus so much on the evidence, although the evidence for the resurrection is overwhelming, and there's evidence right in this text that we have before us today. There is evidence for the resurrection. We're going to touch on those things. I'm not so much focused or uh, zeroing in on the evidence that is overwhelming, but the effects of the resurrection, and the effects of the resurrection that give us this abiding hope, this hope that is like an anchor, like an anchor for the soul. So I've titled this The Dawn of Hope. It's hope for me. It's hope for you. And it's hope for all mankind who would trust in Jesus. It's that kind of hope. The hope of the resurrection. Because apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this world would have no hope. But because Christ is risen, He's risen indeed, there is hope. So right, right to the message now. The absence of hope. That's the first thing I'd like to speak about. Looking at verse 1 in our text. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. It's true, if Christ were not risen, there would be no hope. But it's obvious from this text that apart from the resurrection of Christ, these women that have come to this tomb have no hope. They just don't have any hope. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, that's these women, came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Hopelessness. It is where these women find themselves and it's where we find them in the state of hopelessness. In their minds, there's nothing to do but make preparations for the dead. And if Christ is not risen, honestly, folks, friends, everyone watching, everyone here, if Christ is not risen, that's what we have to do too, is just preparations for the dead. Preparations for dying. That's all we're doing. We're just waiting until it's over. That's all we're doing. But because Christ is risen, we have a living hope. A living hope. I got to thinking about this, and they've made preparations for the morning. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. They made preparations for morning. M-O-U-R-N. Morning. M-O-U-R-N. They've made preparations for that for mourning the loss of the one they love so much. That's what they've made preparations for. The spices and perfumes were things that they had prepared earlier. If you just look back 
a verse previous to that in chapter 23, then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. These women watched Jesus uh, be crucified. They watched him die and they watched him be buried by Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. They watched him be placed in that tomb. They saw the place where he was laid. They seen the stone rolled against the tomb. I, I, we know that to be the case because as they're on their way, they're asking each other, who's going to move the stone away? They've watched all that happen. And they've, they've went and gotten some spices and perfumes. They've prepared to do this thing. They were prepared. They were going to honor him in death, and they had to make preparations to do so. And it costed them something. They had to purchase some of these spices. They might have done some of that purchasing on the way to the tomb this morning. It's possible that they did that based on Mark 16.1, which says they bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. So they prepared and they purchased some things. And you can imagine what these ladies are like, right? When ladies are getting together to plan something, I mean, they're, they're more efficient than guys, you know. They get to the point and they're working it out. And if there's details they got to discuss, you can almost hear these ladies talking through this. And we'll meet at this time. And hey, we don't have this. So when on the way, we'll stop and get this. And as we're getting there, the stone is there. Who's going to move that stone? And they're, they're doing all that in this grief of mourning. They're doing all that while they're mourning together. So they're making plans. They're preparing and they're purchasing things and they're planning. And the planning began the night of his death and it continued on as they're walking to the tomb here. They're planning and purchasing and preparing for the dead though. For the dead. And they were close to Jesus. Verse 10 gives us a list of these women. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and also the other women with them. So it doesn't give us an exhaustive list and we're not going to spend time talking about each one of these women, but these were women that were close to Jesus. They loved him. And we can't know all that they were thinking and feeling. We can't. But we can imagine it. Those of us who have suffered loss of people that we love dearly, we can imagine what they were feeling. It's not that hard. The broken heartedness. Probably a couple nights. And if not for the fact that Jesus is risen, He's risen indeed, there would be a couple more nights of crying themselves to sleep. Of that empty feeling in your stomach that blankness in your mind, that numbness of mind, that's where these ladies are at. They're grieving. And they are experiencing all the feelings of loss. And the disciples are right there with them. When they return, Mark's Gospel tells us that when the ladies return to tell the apostles about the fact that Jesus' body is gone, it tells us there in Mark 16.10 that the disciples were there mourning and weeping. They were there mourning and weeping. They are grieving deeply over the loss of the one they love so much and the loss of their Savior. They're feeling hopeless. Hopelessness has been described like being in a long, dark tunnel with no light at the other side. That's what hopelessness has been described like. Being in a long, dark tunnel with no light at the other side. Feels like being adrift. 
moored to nothing, just adrift. And like being empty. And it brings just deep sorrow in life and sorrow in death, hopelessness does. When Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says, we do, not, we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. The death of an unbeliever or the death of someone viewed by an unbeliever is a grief with no hope. For us, we have hope. We have a living hope. And apart from the knowledge of His resurrection, these women are grieving like the rest who have no hope. They are hopeless. Hopeless because His death was so certain. They, again, they watched it happen. His death was so certain. The physical evidence is so overwhelming. He died a real death. He died. And they saw it. And he was buried. They watched him be wrapped up in those clothes, those grave clothes, and be placed in a tomb. He was buried. And they saw that too. And if the best man, the perfect man, can die, what hope is there for the rest of us? And honestly, Jesus was not all that old, even by the standard of this day. People talk about people are living longer and longer. I'm not so sure that's true. If you look back in history and see how long people lived, back in Jesus' day, there were some people living to be 80 years old and 85 years old and 90 years old. It wasn't that much different than today. Jesus died a very early death. A violent death. They're hopeless because his death was so certain. They're, they're hopeless because death is so final, isn't it? It's just final. Death's hold is so great. It looms so large. What's expected after death? Apart from Christ, apart from, his, apart from considering the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what is expected after death? We're just worm food, decay, right? That's the only expectation we have apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they're hopeless because His death was so certain. They're hopeless because death is so final. They're hopeless apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look, if you're in uh, chapter 24, just look over at verse um, 21. Well, 20 and 21. Luke 24, 20 and 21. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. He died. But we were hoping, or but we had hoped. All of them, all of them that were close to Jesus had this hope in him of something. And their hope died when Christ died. There is this absence of hope. They're hopeless. And it's not just the feelings of it, but it would be the fact, except for the fact that He is risen. <laughs> He's risen indeed. They have the feeling of hopelessness, but the hopelessness they are feeling is not the fact. Because Christ is risen. Because He's risen. 
And the hope they had in Christ while Christ was living among them, among them, does not even compare the hope that they're soon going to have because Christ is living in them. I'm trying to say that too fast. The hope they had while Christ was alive, the hope they placed in Christ while He was alive, is not going to come close to compare to the hope that they have because Christ lives in them. If Christ were not raised, then they're still in their sins. They're without hope. He died for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So not only were these women hopeless if Christ were not raised, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're without hope as well. There is an absence of hope for us as well if Christ is not raised. These are familiar verses. All of this is familiar language. We've heard messages on these things, but I think it's important to be reminded of them. And there may be someone who hasn't considered it exactly from these perspectives, but if you would go to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19, apart from the resurrection of Christ, these women had no hope. There was this absence of hope. And apart from the resurrection of Christ, we are without hope. There is an absence of hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, and that's what we're preaching today, Christ has been raised from the dead, he is risen, he is risen indeed. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How does people say that there, there is no resurrection of the dead? If Christ is preached that he has been raised, how do some say there is no resurrection? What Paul is saying, he's saying that there is a resurrection of the dead yet to come. There is a hope of resurrection yet to come for us. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith is also vain. Our preaching is futile. Your faith is also futile. In other words, I shouldn't be bothering to spend the time studying for this or speaking about this, and you shouldn't be bothering listening. It's pointless. If Christ is not raised, but Christ is raised. He's risen. And because He is risen, this is not vain, and this is not hopeless, and this is not futile. This is the most important thing for us to consider. Christ is risen from the dead. He goes on to say, Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. In other words, we're, we're t telling things about God that aren't true. Because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised, but the dead are raised, and Christ is raised. And that's what He's going to go on to say. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. These women are hopeless apart from the resurrection of Christ. On this day, this person they loved so much closely that they walked with, ate with, cared for. We are hopeless apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mankind is hopeless apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, we have hope in Christ for this life, but it's not for this life only. In fact, it's not your best life now. Our best life is yet to come. Our hope is way beyond anything we could ask or think of or imagine. It's way beyond anything we could even conceive of. The Scripture tells us that. No mind has conceived what God has prepared in advance for those who love Him.
There's no hope in a dead Savior. But praise God, Jesus Christ is risen. Okay, moving on to the appearance of hope. Verse 1 again, But on the first day of the week at early dawn they came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. They were prepared for mourning. Now we're going to look at verses 2 through 4 and see that they are perplexed by what they found. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. I titled this these few verses as the appearance of hope. They're perplexed by what they found. I got to thinking about this and I thought when real hope is found, when real hope is found by us, sometimes it's not really seen for what it is. We'll chase after a false hope. But when real hope is found, sometimes it's not seen for what it is. And that's the case for these women. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They don't see that as hope. They're just confused. They don't find things as they expect to find them, and it just confuses them. They come to their destinations, their destination rather, and things are not as they expected to find them. Again, you probably remember they're on their way to the tomb and they're talking about the size of that stone and how we're going to get it rolled away. And now they come there and they're wondering how it got moved. How did that stone get moved? And they come into the tomb and they see that it's empty. And they're perplexed about that. The way it looks to them, as they're looking at this, as they find it, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Their mind doesn't go. The way it looks to them is not, hey, the stone's moved away, the tomb is empty, Jesus must be risen. That's not where they go. And that's not where a lot of people go, but that's where we go because He is risen. He's risen. And this is the account of it. These are the facts of it. The appearance of hope. Hope appears to them, but they don't see it for hope. That's my point with this. It's not a very big point. It's not a very long point, but I think it's an important point. Hope appears to them in the form of a resurrection an evidence of the resurrection, and they don't see it as something to be hopeful about. So how does it look to you? It looks to them perplexing. They're not expecting an open tomb. They're not expecting an empty tomb. They're not expecting a risen Christ. They're not expecting angels. And they're not expecting empty grave clothes either. That's some of the evidence for the resurrection that we could talk about. Those empty grave clothes... I don't know if there's a better evidence for the resurrection. Have you ever had a wound that was pretty deep and had it wrapped up in something? I've had a few of them. And tried to peel that off without having some of that stuff stick to you? Or that stuff fall apart? Jesus is beaten how bad? And He's wrapped up in this. And they found that laid aside. Where's the hope in an open tomb? 
Where is the hope in an open tomb? From their perspective, usually when a tomb or a grave is open, it's waiting to receive its occupant, right? Someone digs a grave, that grave is waiting to receive the occupant. You don't think when you see an open tomb or an open grave, hey, someone just left there. It's not the first thing that comes to your mind. And where's the hope in an empty tomb? Some of their first thoughts, because the tomb was empty, it's open. They don't go, hey, it's open. Jesus must not be there anymore. And they don't say, hey, it's empty. Jesus must be risen. They don't go there. Their minds go to someone who's stolen the body. Someone must have stole the body. They cannot see how any of this can be a good thing at all. Again, it's evident they did not expect an empty tomb or a risen Savior. I didn't expect that either. Before coming to faith in Christ, I did not expect to come in contact through the Word of God with a risen Savior, but I did. And He's risen. He's risen indeed. And because He's risen, I have this hope, this abiding hope as an anchor for my soul. I know this coronavirus is a big deal and everybody's worried about it. It's the only subject of, that people are talking about. But you know, we can have peace through this. We don't have to worry about it as Christians. It's glory all the way. If, if, if the coronavirus comes and goes, and it's going to, it's going to pass, everything does. If it comes and goes and I survive it, I'm here a little bit longer to glorify the Lord. If the coronavirus comes and takes me home, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, I'm not wishing that on myself or anyone else, but the point is there is an abiding hope as an anchor for the soul. An anchor for the soul. You listen to how people are talking about this coronavirus and how they're so worried about that. And it's all, you know, there's anxiety with that. There's no need for us to have that because there is this hope that is like an anchor for the soul because Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. So we will be risen together with Him. We're going to rise together with Him. There's a resurrection life awaiting us. There's a, a, a hope for a future. There's a future hope for us. What The appearance of hope might not look like hope, but it is. It is. The empty tomb, the open grave, it is a living hope. I want to speak to the entrance of hope. Hope enters into the scene. That's what I mean by that. For these women, hope comes on the stage here. Verse 4, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. Um, You might say, well, that's great for them. They got to see these two angels. I'm going to talk about that, Lord willing, before we're done here. Where's my angel, you might be saying. Well, here, I'll just talk about it now. Your angel's right here. It's right here in Scripture. This is what you are to know. These angels appear to these women. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, they're not saying, oh, look at these lovely angels. They're terrified. They bow their faces to the ground. They don't know what to think about this. And what do the angels say? Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Wow! Praise God! Why do you seek the living one among the dead? What are they they proclaiming? Christ lives. 
He lives. He's not dead. He's not here. He's risen. He's risen indeed. This is the entrance of hope, or this is where I get my title for this message from. This is the dawn of hope. This is the first real spark of hope for all mankind, right here. They're visited by angels, and they're terrified, and they're asked that most wonderful question, why do you seek the living one from among the dead? There is no greater hope than His resurrection from the dead. Or let me say it this way, there is a greater hope in His death and resurrection than they could ever imagine. There is a greater hope in Christ's death and resurrection they could have ever imagined that they had in Him prior to His death. And there is a greater hope for us in Christ's death and resurrection than we could have ever imagined for ourselves apart from the resurrection of Christ. And they're invited to come and see one of the other Gospels say that, verse 6. They're invited to come to see the empty tomb. They're standing there. They're, I think they're actually in the tomb. They're in that dark place, that tunnel with no light at the end of it. And there's these men in dazzling clothes. It lights that place up and they say, look, he's not here. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day, rise again. And here it is. And they remembered His words. Could you imagine the flood of emotion and the thoughts that, that must have come to them at this point in time? They go from thinking someone stole the body of their Lord in this grief, in this depression, in this hopelessness, to a hope that they can't even describe. The the concept of, of the hope that might be available to them because Christ is risen. Could you imagine what is going through their mind? I can. Probably about the same thing that went through my mind just as I was coming to faith in Christ in those moments. Same. There's hope for even me. There's hope for even me. Because Christ is risen. The hope of the resurrection. Then they remembered. What a flood of emotion and thoughts. And then they go back and give the report. Verses 9-11. through 11, And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Can you imagine what they sounded like? Can you imagine how excited? It, when, they, when they're going back, they don't, talk, they don't talk to anyone along the way. And it says they're both frightened and, and they're excited at the same time. They, they're still processing all they've seen and all they have heard. And there's this glimmer of hope that is beyond imagination. Cindy and I spent some years uh, trying to have children. It, it went maybe five years before we ever started to have children. And the first time I heard that we were going to have a baby... I mean, there was this, what is that real kind of thing? Okay, that is, that is huge. I'm not diminishing that, but this is bigger than that. This is bigger than that. This flood of emotion that comes over them. This is the entrance of hope. And they give her the report. How is it received? Uh, I've already read verse 10. 
uh, the last part of verse 10. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. They're all talking about it. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. And that, they did not believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. Because who does that? Who does that? They'd seen Lazarus. They'd seen Jesus raise Lazarus. What? Why that didn't go, hey, he raised Lazarus. Now he must be risen. I don't know, but they don't. They don't expect this. They don't expect it to be this wonderful. That he's risen from the dead. They, they think it's nonsense. Just like many people, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. How much more foolishness is the preaching of the resurrection to people that won't believe that Jesus died for their sin? He rose again. But there's two, and Luke just gives us Peter here, but Peter got up. But Peter got up. I love that. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Might be nonsense. I might not be able to put the pieces together, but I gotta go find out. I gotta go find out. And looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. There's Peter running to the scene with this spark of hope in his mind. Hebrews, we know that uh, an angel or that Jesus appears to Peter somewhere along the way as well from another text of Scripture. We don't know when that happens, but Hebrews six eighteen says this: We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. It's talking about some other things. It's talking about uh, how certain God's promises are. In, in that section of Hebrews chapter 6. And then the writer goes on to say this, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered. Peter is running. He's fleeing to take hold of whatever hope might be there. And we can do the same. If you're hopeless, you can run to Jesus. There might be an absence of hope and the appearance of hope might not seem like hope. You might think, how can Jesus take care of all this hopelessness in my life, but He can. He can. He does. He offers real hope. This world doesn't offer any. Jesus offers real hope. You can run to Jesus. And Hebrews 6.19 goes on to say, we have this hope as an anchor for, for the souls, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. It invites us right into the presence of God. You can have peace with God. Ron talked about that just a couple of weeks ago. Peace with God. And that's where hope begins. When you have peace with God, that's where hope begins. Real hope. Apart from having peace with God, there is no hope. There's anxiety. There's tensions. But when you have peace with God, there's real hope. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to turn there. Because Peter writes in 1 Peter, and this is the same man that runs to that tomb. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Do you know how he can write things like that? 
because he lived it. He ran to that tomb. He looked in there. At some point, Jesus meets him, and he sees a, a risen, living Savior, and he says, I have a living hope. And, he, and he's saying to other believers who never saw Jesus, you have the same living hope because Christ is risen. has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What a wonderful thing to say. What a wonderful truth. What a wonderful fact. There's hope because Jesus has risen from the dead. God has presented to us the most glorious object of hope possible when Christ was raised from the dead. And these women come to that tomb and they're confronted with the new possibilities They've been presented with the facts of Christ's resurrection. They don't see them as the facts of his resurrection. They see a vacant tomb. They're visited by angels. And they have these vestiges of hope, these scraps of hope. You know, that's enough. A scrap of hope is enough to lead you to the next scrap of hope and tell you trust in Jesus. And then once you've trusted in him, you have hope eternal. Hope eternal. I began this message by talking about Roger Whitaker, who sings about a new world in the morning, but that new world in the morning can start today. When you trust in Jesus, your new world in the morning can start today. And if you're a believer in Jesus, and, and, and you haven't been leaning on the hope that you have in Him, you know what? You can start fresh with that as well. I find myself there sometimes, leaning on something else other than the hope that I have in Christ. And this hope that we have is a purifying hope. 1 John 3, 3. Whoever has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. It's a purifying hope. It's a living hope. 1 Peter uh, talks about that. It's a hope for the future. It's an anchoring hope. It's a confident and rejoicing hope. It's an, it, it's an eternal hope. It's a blessed hope. It's a hope of eternal life. Let me say it that way. And it's a recognizable hope. When you have this hope in you, people can see it. They can see it. What is that? Why, why is it you're just okay all the time? Let me tell you about the reason for my hope. Let me tell you about the reason for the hope that is in me. It's a hope that is in us. It abides in us. It's a wonderful thing. It's a hope of glory. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The hope we have in Christ, Christ in you, is the hope of glory. It's the hope that's found in the gospel. Colossians 1.23 talks about that. It's a hope that's laid up in heaven. It's the hope of righteousness. And God is called the God of hope. You can trust in what God has done in providing His Son. Jesus, who died on a cross, was buried, and on the third day rose again. And because that's the case, we have a living hope. The hope that is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about today. Let's close with a word of prayer. And uh, after that, we're going to have a hymn play, just for you that are, for you that are watching. I said use. Sorry about that. For you that are watching. Uh, live stream. And then after that hymn, Adriana is going to come up and uh, bless us with another song as well. And then uh, Rick's going to come and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for 
all of your people, uh, all of us gathered together, Father, either electronically or physically, Father. Thank you for the ability to do that. Father, um, bless us this day. Thank you for Jesus, this Easter day, this Resurrection Sunday, Father. We just praise your name, Lord, for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.